Thank you very much, Martin. It's, um, it's been fun actually being up here, and it's been great hanging out with the, the guys from Equip and doing that yesterday. Martin worked you hard for the weekend, you know, Equip, Hillview, Kintour. Um, but it's also lovely just to be actually physically here. I'm in touch with Martin a lot. WhatsApp's a great thing for keeping relationships going, and he's often telling me how well things are going here and how great a job he's doing. Um, so... <laughs> It's nice to come and weigh that up for reality, and um, I, I want to speak this morning about um, our returning to our first love, and for me, it feels quite fun to speak on that, if fun's the right word, because coming back to the city that kind of, the city of my first love, actually, uh, moving to Scotland, I'm from Northern Ireland, and uh, when it, I, I moved when I was 18 to Aberdeen to study physiotherapy then, and it, it was, Aberdeen was the city that kind of gave me my, my love for Scotland. And I'm not just saying that to try and win you over. I genuinely, uh, I spent uh, about 12 years here. Uh, I, I, I met my first, I met my wife here. So there's another first love thing here on, well, it's not quite first love. If you actually go into it, there, there was, <laughs> to be accurate, there's somebody before that. But uh, we'll not go into that. Um, but you know, yeah, so it's, Aberdeen's been good to me, kind to me, and, uh, I, and I, I just generally, uh, it's really helped me just fall in love with the, the place of Scotland. And so this idea of first love was really on my mind, and it, it made me actually think of my, my mother, strangely enough, for some reason, who, uh, my, I was brought up in a Christian home, but uh, my mother in particular, we were talking a wee bit about this the, yesterday, the whole place of modeling and role modeling as leaders and imitation. And uh, my, my, I grew up in a Presbyterian church, um, no judgment there at all, a massive Presbyterian church in Northern Ireland. And, but my mum within that had always modeled to me a, a real thing of like a relationship, first love with, with God. I, I would remember pictures, you can picture her in my mind, just being up early, so many mornings, just in the lounge, the cold big room in the house just on her knees praying and, and just you would catch her there and it, I, I was always modeled that from, from quite a young age so first love's a really important thing but the passage that we're going to turn to in a moment it, it leads me to ask myself afresh this morning uh, am, I, am I still hungry for God? Am I still hungry for more of God? Or even, am I, am I living a wee bit on yesterday's experiences of God, or is there a today experience of God and reality in my life, returning to first love? Would you turn with me? The words should be behind on the screen, but Revelation 2, uh, verses 1 to 7, and we're going to go after that this morning. So to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tasted those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You've persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. 
Whoever has an ear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. This is God's word to us this morning. May he speak to us and the starting point of this kind of, uh, in some ways, enigmatic and powerful uh, Writing the starting point and the end point to this whole passage is that he knows us very well. We have Jesus amidst or among the seven golden lampstands, which is representing the seven churches he is writing to. So not looking, not outside looking in or from above looking down, but Jesus, the picture here is among right there or right here, whichever, in the middle of the church. And it's interesting, do you know, I don't know how you typically bounce out the church or crawl out the church or you, what your process is, Adelaide places, we do coffee and pastries because it's Glasgow beforehand and do you know there's the familiar thing and we, there's lots of chat and, and this is what we do, we come into church, we, we get out of the car, we chat the people, we put the arguments aside or the distractions aside and we come in and we're in a particular mode and actually we sometimes forget there's something of a deeper reality going on. Whatever distractions, whatever thoughts are going on in our mind, there's a, 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 an echo of something here of the presence of someone right in the middle of everything that was going on. The, the, the revelation was apocalyptic. It's a strange uh, genre, if you like, the, the book of Revelation, which rightly intimidates preachers and just Christians for centuries. But it, apocalyptic literature kind of gives you an image of the sort of, you know, the Armageddon, the explosions, pyrotechnics, and all that sort of thing, but it's kind of not really that helpful. It's not really the end of the world type disaster stuff, but it's more about the unveiling of reality. This is what's really going on, is what is going on, and it's an unveiling of the present circumstances Yes, in the sense of in light of the end times, in light of the, when, when Jesus returns, it's a present, uh, what is going on in the present circumstances in light of that. But it's always what, what is going on in the present circumstances in light of the unseen realities of the present time. And this is what's going on here. So what is going on here in light of the present reality amidst maybe Brexit and everything that's going on and everything that's going on in your lives and our church, in light of all that, as we think of Jesus ascended at the right hand God and this incredible image of him, if you read back to uh, just a few uh, verses before in Revelation of the reign of Christ, what is going on in his present reality in our midst. And so there would have been piercing weight to the words when he says, I know, I know. And and, and I should say at this point, I'm not jumping to any conclusions about what my perception is of going on in an Adelaide place even, or, or Hillview or Kintour. I'm not jumping to conclusions about what that might be, but yet there is this call for all of us, you and I here this morning, to quite seriously ponder those words. What is the Spirit saying to us? What is what's really going on here amidst the one who is among and who is saying, I know. And so the question becomes, uh, how, do, how do we perceive reality? Are we dealing in reality? Are, are, you know, again, what's really going on here? And, and, and are we going to 
understand that, pay attention to that, or grasp what is going on in this moment. And, and it's worth noting that it would actually have been really, really difficult for this uh, in a city like Ephesus for them to actually discern, you know, are we seeing things correctly? Let me tell you, just to rem- maybe remind you a wee bit about the city of Ephesus and the Ephesian church. Ephesus was in every sense an, an urban center. Around AD 96, the population was 200, around 225,000. And it, it was a major financial center, uh, not only for Asia Minor, but also the ancient world at large. It was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. And, and so the call to Jesus to follow him would have come with recognizable challenges that you're part of a city, you get the sense of the busyness, the, the relentlessness, the challenges that we face living in the, in, in the center of, of, a, of a city. And the banks of Ephesus, they held huge monetary deposits. And so it was an important place, it was an important seaport on the western coast of Asia, meaning lots of people would rock up there and pass through. There was a life to it, and hence why Paul spent a lot of time there. They loved sport. They were into their sport. They, they had lots of events. They had the, the sort of Olympic-style things that became, and so people would flock to there for the great sporting events. And they also had their fair share of idolatry. Their fertility goddess in Greek, Diana would be, or sorry, in Roman, it was Diana, or in Artemis would be the Greek. And her temple was one of the seven wonders of the world. And the church was uh, born during a brief visit by Paul and his co-workers, Priscilla and Aquila, who, who nurtured the congregation after Paul left. And Paul spent about two and a half years in this church because it was strategic, because it was important, and he thought, there's something going on in this part of the world that is, is actually strategic to what the kingdom of God is doing in this time. But he had to leave it because he started to damage the economy because his preaching was turning people away from that idols. And they're like, get rid of him. He's destroying the economy that's based around all this idolatry. And so Paul gets chased out. And so at the time of writing, Ephesus had become at the center of the Christian movement, movement flowing roughly from Jerusalem, Antioch to Ephesus. And later the weight would shift to Rome. And one more, I think, is pretty cool fact. According to tradition, is it was also the place where uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was one of the longest-serving members. How cool would that be? Can you imagine the Christmas carol service? <laughs> it's like, Mary, did you know? I think she's like, yeah, I get it. It's interesting. And so, what a church! What a church. And in in all of this, what was going on and and the people that were there, the heritage of the church planter Paul, what a church. And yet its head, this vision of Jesus as the Lord and the only one qualified to give an accurate judgment of what's really going on. He's like a, a, it's a terrible way to refer to our Lord and Savior, but he's like a divine quality inspector. What's really going on as he moves among his church? And he begins with the words, I know your deeds. The church is buzzing, buzzing with doing your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. You find them false. You've persevered under hardship, you've kept going, and you've, you've not grown weary, you've kept going well done. What a great church! 
John Stott, the um, pastor theologian, summarized the condition of the church like this. He says, energetic in their service, patient in their suffering, orthodox in their faith. Can we hear the well done? Could they hear the well done? I think sometimes us Irish Scots, see what I did there, just combined us together. Us Irish Scots are sometimes a wee bit miserable when it comes to the well done, aren't we? We're drawn to sometimes seeing the negatives rather than going, actually, can we hear the well done of what's going on? Can we hear the well done Ephesus for, for sticking at it, for persevering, for holding this truth, this gospel truth with care? You've rooted out heresy. Well done. Well done, Adelaide Place, for I don't know what, but well done for just being, you know, what you're doing, persevering and, and, and leading with mission. Or well done, Hillview. Well done for going after developing leaders. Well done for having to go. Well done for planting a church. Well done for what you're doing in this place and the way you, you long for passionately engaging with God and his word. But the well done isn't all there was to see. And the Lord's piercing eye sees a flaw. And it's a great flaw if not attended to. I don't know if, I don't know if you're any DIY people. But if you do, I, I, I don't do DIY. But when I do, I have, I have a bit of a, oh, that'll do, that'll be fine sort of approach. Do you know the sort of slapdash? You know, you're putting up the curtain pole and you're like, you think you screwed it in properly, but... You're not entirely convinced, but you're like, ah, oh, that'll be fine, it'll be fine. And then a year later, the, you know, it's at this angle. That's me, and that's just how I do DIY. And some of you will be like the absolute office. You don't just leave that. Like, you know when there's a flaw to the thing, and you know it needs attended to. And the attitude, ah, oh, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. You get where the hollowness, the reality kicks in here. So there's a... A flaw, this piercing flaw that, the, that needs attended to and with a, a sense of challenge and the words that come to describe it are this, you have left your first love, Ephesus. You've left your first love. And throughout the Bible, you know, Old Testament and New, God is depicted as being in relationship. It's like a bride and a groom is, an, is a frequent metaphor used to describe the relationship God wants to have with his people. It's, it's, a, it's about an intimacy. It's about a passion. It's about a love. It's, it's the sort of thing. It's dynamic. It's real. It's from the heart. It involves all of life. He isn't interested in slavish obedience. He's interested in the heart. And the loss and the flaw was about this simple devotion and affection for God. And perhaps the implication for the Ephesians was that they were awfully busy doing good things, either things for God, defending on all fronts, leading out, being somewhere. But the simple devotion, the intimacy had taken a hit, maybe even at the expense of some of these good things that they were doing. Maybe even the Ephesians were flirting in their hearts with materialism, comfort, financial security, and all the great things that Ephesus offered to them. Maybe he's seen something in their heart that was just like small, a rudder change, and he goes like, he wasn't interested in these slaves. He wanted lovers. God wants lovers. He, he wants people to, to come to him, not because they have to, not because... Not because they're dragged to, 
And uh, your parents will know, like, you, you, some of you young people here, you, what your parents want you to know. is they, I know it feels like sometimes you're dragged to this thing and that thing, and you're, it feels sometimes you're told, be a good girl or be a good boy, don't be a bad girl, don't be a bad boy. But the heart is not in the gospel at anything like that. The heart of the gospel is this God who wants to, to know you and to be known by you and to work through you and to bring out a life of abundant life in your life. And that's what your parents really are trying to say amidst all the maybe slight miscommunication that inevitably comes because God wants you to, he wants to woo you and draw you, not to get slavish obedience to, oh, I suppose I should, I must, and I have to. And so that thinking, that religious thinking in the pejorative sense, it needs looked at. It, it needs challenged. It needs understood. It needs to be got hold of. It cannot be ignored, according to Paul when he's writing, or sorry, John, when he's writing to Ephesus. So how, how, how the question also becomes, so how, how does this happen? How did this happen? Or how, how could this happen? And one of the, the strongest theories I, I came across was this one writer says this, the Ephesus tragedy happened quietly and by gradual imperceptible shifts of focus. That's interesting. It's like the, is it the proverb, quick catch all the little foxes before they use, ruin the vineyard of your love. Slowly, little by little, subtly under the radar, it happens in marriages. We know it happens in friendships and it happens in churches and it happens in our relationship. Actually, wouldn't it be much clever of the enemy to rather than the big and the massive distraction or the big obvious thing, he, he comes with subtle things, subtle choices, subtle decisions and behaviors. And the irony of the Ephesian syndrome is that the Christians become totally preoccupied with themes and goals that would never have won their hearts to Jesus in the first place. Isn't that odd? Doing this, doing that, and they're like, that's, that's not what actually made me leave everything and follow Jesus, is it? What left me to follow Jesus was the one who gave up his life for me and, and revealed himself to me and lifted me out of this selfish way of living and said, look, here's a better way to go at it. Here is life in the way it should be. It's that connection, that reality that actually transforms our hearts. Not rotas, not stuff and all the little things. And means what 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 do we what do we do? What what is he saying to them? If there's any of that reality going on, what should they do about it? And he says, Remember, repent and redo. Remember. I think that's about recognize reality here. Remember remember recognize where you used to be, where you were with God. You know, think, they deal, with, deal with that and remember and, and, and allow that reality to come into this place. Allow that reality not to be lost in the, the words, you know, the whole narrative, Christians don't tell lies, they sing them. How true is that sometimes, do you know? You just, like if we meditated truly in some of the words we sing, my goodness, we would probably either stay silent or actually start to go, right, train me in this properly, Spirit of God. Do you know? 
I, I, I remember a, t- a time, like I'm in Aberdeen, I mean, I'm walk down memory lane, like honestly, every street I go, not every street, I'm not that, but you know, I, I remember one time, it was when I was in fourth year at university, um, I I, 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 we, we there's three of us. We just decided. I don't know why. We just decided to spend the whole night praying and walked around the city in the snow, and it was awesome. It was like it was just amazing. It's just something we did. And, and don't get me wrong. For those of us who know, like when we're talking about remembering the way things were, there's rules tinted glasses and all that. And there's a mature way to come back to this. We're not going to recreate the energy, the excitement of youth here. Some of you have been walking with the Lord for so long. I'm not saying you need to recreate your youth in some sort of magical excitement-driven Christianity that sometimes we can play into with the whole consumer entertainment. We're here to worship. We're here to get you excited because if you that's, that's, you know, in, in, in our relationships, there's a maturity that comes with a different sort of devotion that does look different in our later years. But I tell you something, the passion, the love, you, you know, it looks different, but it should be there. It has to be there. We shouldn't allow that to do so. The writer John says, just remember Remember the way things used to be. And then this, this good Northern Irish word, I think, repent. You know? Repent. It's, it's, it, I think it's a word we need to recover. It's a beautiful word of, I think, yeah, it means turn away from and turn towards. And it, but it also has a, the idea of like just your mind being exploded. It's like you're, 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 you grow in your understanding of who Jesus is, the significance. And so it's not just what you're turning away from. You're, you're sitting thinking about what you're taking a hold of. And it's this bigger understanding of who Jesus is and what he's wanting to do. Turning away from, yes, empty things, but putting your life again and going, actually, in this season... With distractions, family, and just stuff going on. In this season, give me a bigger vision that I can turn to of who Jesus is. Even walking through difficult stuff. Like, some of you will be in this place where like, more than anything, some of the things you're walking through, you, you know in your hearts what you need is a bigger revelation of who Jesus is to keep you going, to get you through. Because passion for you in this season, devotion is not going to feel good. It's not going to be... It's, it's just a case of a big view of who Jesus is and what he's all about. Remember, repent, and then there's this redoing of the things you did at first. It's not passive. There's a response. I wonder what that was. Do you know a first in a, in a relationship where... You know, you, you don't hang on and criticize all the little things, do you? You know, if, you've just, if you're in a relationship with God, you maybe just felt forgiven for the first time. And you, just, you felt that sense of like unmerited grace of God just takes you as you are, accepts you 100%. And you go into a community, a church, and you're just like, gee whiz, I've been forgiven so much. I am not holding that against you. I am not going to sit and major on minors and, and sort of they kill this thing with lots of my opinion, which is dressed up as wisdom. You're, you're not. You're going to be like, you know, I've been so messed up and God has forgiven me so much. I'm going to cover you in grace and me in grace. We're going to cover each other in grace. Because 
Let's redo that because let's be honest, if the Lord marked any of our transgressions, who of us could stand? And of course at the start, we start like that. True to human nature, you know, subtly our opinions are dressed as wisdom and our scorecard is out and little things and, and you see it happen. And I wonder if there's something about this redoing of the things you do at first is a lot about, yes, this devotion with God that is very much love of Lord connected with love of you know, neighbor and others. The horizontal and the, the vertical will always sit together. And actually, I wonder if there's a redoing of the, as we experience the kindness and the love and the encouragement that we get from God as a God who says, I know and still wants to move towards us. <laughs> That, that we still go like, I know that like, we all are a bit, you know, we rub each other up the wrong way, let's be honest, but I know I'm still going to come to you with kindness, with love, with encouragement. Redo that. Let's outdo one another in building a culture of love that will not get stuck on the small things. And so there's a remembering, a repenting, this redoing of going after. And it is probably, we talked about this yesterday, this, this rhythm thing about creating space for actually going after a life that is devoted. And then there's this, almost like there's this pregnant pause of possibility where it talks of this overcoming, this victory, this victorious. It's, it's like, watch what will happen for a church for a people who will do that. It's like I can just see the, the, the window of opportunity cracking open. Like almost all of heaven just saying, like, just watch what can happen to the one who is victorious and speaks all this language that is bizarre, but is basically talking about the kingdom of God in its fullness and also breaking into the here and now. Watch what will happen in your life when you allow yourself to remember, to repent, to redo the things of first love. It's just so full of possibility, so full of life and so full of energy. Hillview Community Church, that's your full title, is it? May, may we hear the invitation from our Lord. He isn't just after the work of our hands. He is looking for our hearts. Those hearts that get clogged up, distracted, Help us again say, let us hear what the Spirit is saying to us, to this church. Because I think God has incredible things for a church that seeks to be with their God. Would you like to experience more of the fullness of God in your life and in your community here? I know it's a rhetorical question in that sense, but aside from the rhetoric, would you like to experience more of the fullness of God in your life and in your community? Listen to this prayer as we finish, and it's a prayer of Paul writing to this church earlier, a prayer for the Ephesians. Let's make this our prayer this morning. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. 
and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let it be, God. Let it be. May your spirit fill us with that love. May we, may we deal in reality, but in hope too, God, as we experience your spirit, lead us towards the heart of Christ. As your spirit helps us to love and live out the commandments, to love you with our whole heart, mind, strength, and being, and to love our neighbor as ourself, God. Would you give us the grace for that this morning as we return to you? Amen.